You're listening to Key Matters from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and my co-host is Dr. Mary Osborne, the Director of the Stewart House Museum. Thank you for joining us as we travel through the Key Magazine from 1882 to today. Hello, Dr. Oz. How are you this fine afternoon? Hi, Kylie. I'm doing well. I'm just trying to stay cool. It's really hot here in Monmouth. Oh, hot on the prairie. Are you ready to discuss the key points of 1903 and 1904 in all the ways that matter? Of course. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> all right. Well, I get to start with 1903 and a few world events. Right off the bat in January, the first West East Transatlantic radio broadcast is made from the United States to England. The first East to West broadcast was made in 1901, but apparently it didn't catch my eye or warrant a mention since I did that year as well. Oops. Um, in February, Cuba leased Guantanamo Bay to the United States, quote, in perpetuity. By March in New York City, the Martha Washington Hotel, the first hotel exclusively for women, opened on East 29th between Madison Avenue and Park Avenue in Manhattan. The original name was simply Women's Hotel, and it's currently known as the Redberry, New York. It's interesting that this was built in 1903, since the housing that was specific and safe for women was still in high demand when Panhellenic Tower was begun in 1927. But then they say by like the 30s, there wasn't enough traffic even through the Panhellenic Tower. So they, they began admitting men and non-Panhellenic women. But in June, the American socialite Ada D'Acosta was only 19 when she became the first woman to fly a powered aircraft solo. I love this. Her vehicle of choice was Santos Dumont's motorized dirigible number nine. And she flew from Paris to Chateau de Bagatelle. So I would love to fly a dirigible. <laughs> Actually, I just want to ride in one. Also in June, the Ford Motor Company was founded by Henry Ford. And then hearkening back to our favorite video episode of Historically Speaking on transportation, remember where we obsessed over bicycles? Yeah. <laughs> we'll appreciate that the first Tour de France bicycle race was held in July 1903. I looked up a picture of it and much to my disappointment, they rode bikes that look a lot like today's racing bikes, you know, those early safety bikes. I was really hoping for race photos filled with penny farthings or a velocipede, but no such luck. So then jumping to October 1903, the first women's social and political union was founded in the UK. And you'll love this in sports ball news. The first modern world series was played. Do you know what sport that is? Baseball. Yeah, good job. And my brother would be pleased because the Boston Red Sox defeated the Pittsburgh Pirates in eight games. Ugh, can you imagine eight games? It just seems so super long. Well, especially if they went into double innings. Oh, yeah, see, I don't, I don't even know what that is. So must there's a tie at the end of a regular game to go into more because you can't just end in a tie. I guess unless you're an English soccer team, then you can. But not in baseball. Right. Um, in November 1903, Maggie Walker became the first African-American woman to charter a bank. And then in December, Orville Wright flew he and his brother's Wright Flyer at Kitty Hawk in North Carolina, but invented <clears throat> in Dayton, Ohio. So they were Buckeyes. Don't forget. But Wilbur Wright was born in Indiana. 
Oh, we'll just look it up. <laughs> just over the border. Ain't no thing. <laughs> Some other interesting events in 1903. The first box of Crayola crayons were made and sold for five cents, and it had eight colors, brown, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, and black. And then the motorcycle company Harley-Davidson was founded in Wisconsin. Lots of famous births in 1903. Ella Baker was born in 1903, and she was the American civil rights activist and primary advisor and strategist of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC. Edgar Bergen, my favorite, the American ventriloquist and father of Candace Bergen, who joined Kappa at the Beta Alpha chapter at the University of Pennsylvania. He was born in 1903. <sighs> This is very important. Lawrence Welk, the American television musician, band leader, and accordion extraordinaire, was born then. And then Dr. Spock, the baby doc, not the space doc, uh, Benjamin Spock, was born in 1903, as were our two favorite entertainers, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, just a few weeks apart. And then sadly, the notable deaths in 1903 were that of Calamity Jane, the American frontiers woman, and Frederick Law Olmsted, the landscape architect. And then one last note of importance to you for World News in 1903. This was the year that Marie Curie and two other guys, they always name them first, but I'm naming her first, won the Nobel Prize for Physics. And she was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize and the first of an amazing five prizes won in her family. Yeah, worth the two men, Henri Becquerel and Wilhelm Rankin. I had them in my notes and then I deleted them because I was <laughs> Delete women yeah. all the time. So I'm deleting. You know, if if Henri Becquerel hadn't left that or in his in the drawer and forgotten about it, then Marie Curie wouldn't have been inspired to find out what was causing the you know the mysterious rays that printed the object on the paper. So he's kind of important. Well, I, as a feminist, am upset that you are disagreeing with my notion of naming her first. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. He is listed in a, he's listed in a million other places because I didn't mention him. He will not be forgotten. <laughs> so the good stuff, these issues in 1903 of The Key Magazine are once again edited by Beta New at Ohio State with Lucy Allen Smart as the editrix. And looking at the table of contents, these all look to be pretty good issues. You'll appreciate the coverage of the Bonna Thompson Memorial Library at Butler. It's like it's the only library ever to have been built. <laughs> it's, it's just so cool. I don't know why it gets so much coverage, but my goodness. Uh, there are also features about the Marine Biological Laboratory at Woods Hole. And then, of course, the tour of schools continues and they cover Stanford, Bucknell, which would become Akron, Cornell, Worcester, Syracuse, Nebraska, Illinois, Wesleyan, Iowa State, Barnard, Boston, Cornell. Guess who wrote that quick description of Sage Hall? I think I know. <laughs> Someone who wrote with the nom de plume, M.M. Crawford, 04. <laughs> Other schools featured are Penn, Allegheny, Hillsdale, Indiana, DePauw, and Adrian. In the Parthenon, oh, I wanted to gag when I saw them mention co-education again. This is going to be just a running topic and drives me crazy. Rushing practices are always a hot topic, and the presence of other women's organizations are discussed, like the YWCA and all of the women's organizations that are popping up around the world. 
Chapter housing is coming to the fore much more frequently. And then there are seemingly lighter topics, clothes, personality, the girl who refused our invitation. Um, in the October Parthenon, I was interested to see for the first time the Kappa Symphony, which was submitted by Beta Eta Chapter at Stanford. And we know later that it's actually authored by Anita B. Perrin because it's been published in a number of different places with both her name and the chapter's name. And it's the symphony. There are two that are most well-known, but this is the one that starts with to accept what each day may bring unless through my own endeavor, I can better myself and those whom my life may concern. And then it ends with finally to give in all things, the best that I have, this is to be my Kappa symphony. But then there's an unfortunate typo in the title, and they call it a Kappa Smithany. <laughs> I had to take a double take. I was like, is, is that just misspelled? Or? And lest we think that our current issues are simply that current, another piece in the Parthenon from Upsilon at Northwestern titled Division of Labor begins with, I wonder if some of the girls realize how little they really do for the chapter. <laughs> I have talked to a number of fraternity girls about it, and they say that in their chapters, the burdens rest upon a few girls who are either good-natured enough or love Kappa well enough to look after the business and see that everything moves along smoothly. So once again, the responsibility of many falls on the shoulders of just a few the overview of Stanford was of particular interest to me as it included photographs of our Beta Eta chapters house there. They were the first of the Kappa chapters to build a chapter house. And then my favorite of these school overviews was the picture of Adrian's chapter room. So this is Z chapter in Adrian, Michigan. And hanging up is the giant wooden key that appears in one of the greatest Kappa pictures of all time. <laughs> some poor Kappa is in the photo, but her head is through the handle of the key. And she looks miserable, but that's more, I think, an effect of the 19th century photo rather than actually being miserable. She probably fought to get that spot. In fact, we have that photograph blown up and we take it to our various conventions and people are always fighting to be in the handle of the key. So she probably did too. I mean, look, it's kind of immortality I and mean, we're still talking about her. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so I breezed through the articles on most of the schools, and but I was a little sad to read the article about Worcester here in Ohio. The article sings its praises, loves the school, they're very proud of it. But I, as a future reader, know the sad fate of our Beta Gamma chapter at Worcester, founded in 1876. They were part of a Greek system that was asked to shut down because of a wealthy benefactor who promised $1 million dollars and one of the stipulations was to get rid of Greek life. So I don't know what kind of chip he had on his shoulder, but guess what? They shut it all down. All the chapters turned in their charters. And then the blankety blank guy never actually made good on the donation. Oh, oopsie. But here is a cool note that I found. In the personals, there was this note about a woman named Margaret Batchelder. She was a Gamma Rho from Allegheny. And she had a fellowship at Columbia and was, as they described, making special investigations with regard to child labor and child criminals. How interesting is that? So I, I went on a hunt for her. This is why it takes me so long to get through these. And I found other references to her 
online and her settlement work during the progressive era. But most interestingly is she was a part of what came to be known as women boarding inspectors. And so there were a bunch of references to letters. I didn't pull the letters, but letters that she wrote to Theodore Roosevelt and they're in the collections of Ellis Island. And essentially she was an early advocate working against human trafficking. Um, They use the title activists who were against white slavery. So that term hasn't totally aged well, but um, like I said, essentially she would be what we would know today as, as working against human trafficking. And she fought for women inspectors in the Immigration Bureau. They asserted that according to an abstract published online by Cambridge University Press in 2013, immigrant girls traveling without a family patriarch deserved the U.S. government's paternal protection and argued that women would best be suited to provide this protection because of women's purported maternal abilities to perceive feminine distress. So great arguments for why there should be women in these um, federal positions. The larger abstract of this essay is talking about how these roles were very gendered and how, especially in the progressive era, people were still fighting about having women in these roles within, within the federal government. Another personal that caught my eye was from Beta Eta chapter at Stanford that Jean Henry was spending the year in London with her sister, Mrs. Lou Henry Hoover. They neglect to mention that Lou Hoover was also a member of Stanford, the chapter at Stanford, though of course they wouldn't know that they should write that she was also a future first lady. So a little more searching on that, Jean must have spent the summer with her sister in London because Lou was expecting her first baby, Herbert Charles Hoover, who was born on August 4th that summer. So they had come back from China around 1900. So I couldn't figure out how or why they landed in London for those particular years, except that it was probably a diplomatic posting of some sort. Um, And then Mimi Walker, so many famous names in these issues. Mimi Walker, the famous suffragist, appears before she became a suffragist. So Beta Iota at Swarthmore reports that their recent graduate, Amelia Himes, who would, as we know, become Amelia Himes Walker, has pursued her vocal instruction this year in Baltimore. So thankfully for us, while very important, musical and vocal instruction is good, um, I'm, I'm very glad that she went on to even bigger pursuits in fighting for the rights of women. And I was interested Um, to learn more about a Kappa from Kai chapter at Minnesota named Dr. Mabel Austin. Kai reported that she would be studying pathology in Boston, and I found that she soon after married Elmer Ernest Southard, also a doctor and a well-known neuropsychiatrist, neuropathologist, a professor, and an author. So there are personal notes like those that prompt you to read between the lines and maybe do a bit more research. And then there are others like Harriet Peters is spending the year abroad in study and in pleasure. (laughs) It's very noteworthy. Or Florine Holmes is not in school this year, but she spent a few days in town in September. (laughs) So news of sisters certainly runs the gamut. The news from Sigma chapter at Nebraska in their chapter letter, one of them was interesting as they announced Mae Whiting was married to Theodore Westerman. So she was a Whiting when elected grand president in 1902 and would later be known as Mae Westerman, author of one of our favorite Takapa history books. And then here's the part I was dreading, co-education. In 1870, we were debating it and our founders were touting its benefits. 
And 33 years later, Ethel Poole, a member from Beta Epsilon at Barnard, the women's college adjacent to Columbia, writes that we Eastern people, always nice to start something that way, we Eastern people feel that co-education is theoretically the best arrangement, but we know that practically in our part of the country, it is not successful. And besides, we don't want it. It doesn't speak of a woman's lack of ability, simply a lack of access to systematic education in the same manner as men. She also goes on to talk about whether or not there should be men or women professors in the college. She argues for more men professors because they've had more experience in higher education. So as a member of a single gender organization, I see some of her points, some of her discussion of the benefits of, of being with women. But oh, it is frustrating to still be reading from someone speaking against co-education and our own member at that. The question is addressed later by the editor's assistant, and she presents both sides of the argument, including that regardless of your opinion on it, she notes that we can all likely agree that the well-being, development, and decorum of a woman is in good hands when it's in the hands of a fraternity. So just a little bit patronizing. And at the very end, there's a note from Phi Beta Kappa that says, at Wisconsin, of the 23 elected to Phi Beta Kappa, 18 were women. No wonder the anti-co-educationists are scared. So, <laughs> Phi Beta Kappa had, had something to say on that. Uh, there's an article on clothes from Ethel Raymer. And this is one of those examples of, you know, you and I have talked about uncovering some of the difficult truths in, in history in general, but Ethel Raymer from Ada at Wisconsin is funny as she turns her nose up at the word, at the slang word shirt instead of blouse, because she puts it in quotes and says Ugh, what they would call a shirt. But it's also heartbreaking because she's arguing that while it may seem silly or shallow, she says that if we should look for members who have a sensitive feeling for color and an apparent ability to separate rational fashions from irrational ones and come to know them afterwards, we shall not be disappointed. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the sketch about women engineer or women architects. And the author of that particular sketch was of the opinion that one of the reasons that more women were not inclined to go into that field was that they had to wear bloomers, which were not an attractive piece of clothing. That's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The chapter letters are the same as usual, but there does seem to be more mentions of the effort on campuses to discuss rushing and its evils. That's in quotes, as described by the Beta Zeta chapter at the University of Iowa. Though it's no wonder that rush or recruitment has always been a big deal in Texas. At the University of Texas, Beta Kazee writes in about their rushing parties, which included a trolley ride, a spread at the home of Mrs. Bray, a ping pong evening at Julia Idison's home, and several informal fudge parties. So all fun and games out there in Texas. And then typhoid epidemics are mentioned this year in the chapter letters as well. In the editorials of these issues, there's a piece titled Undergraduate or Alumna Officers, which, while going through the archives at Sigma Chapter, Mae Westerman writes that she found a letter from a neighboring chapter asking support for an undergraduate for office, as opposed to an alumna from another chapter. In the letter, they argued the fraternity is for girls in college and not for old maids and married women. Ouch! 
So that's from 19, well, I'm sorry, she found the letter in 1903, but it was, she had found it years prior. So um, she does point out that that feeling hopefully is now outdated and rarely supported, thank goodness. And she argues that working hard as undergrads and to teach them about you know, all the wonders of Kappa. And it's the same reason we teach leadership and try to impart leadership skills on our members today. We'll produce a body of alumni in the next 30 years who are so well-informed in fraternity history and law and leadership that they will better serve the organization and their communities in the future. So um, this, I think, really begins to set up why May Westerman is so highly revered in the organization. Um, Another editorial is about alumni associations, and they note that there are 19 associations with around 800 members, but they note that that leaves around 2,200 alumni. So they're arguing there are 3,000 alumni here in 1903, um, and only 800 have affiliated with groups of other Kappas. The 2,200 others don't find it worthwhile to associate with their fellow Kappa sisters. So the appeal for alums to remain active again, is not a new one. I was interested once again to see mention of Omega Psi in the exchanges. Delta Gamma reports that two years ago, they forbade membership in Omega Psi, but that the delegates at their convention from Ann Arbor made a strong plea in favor of Omega Psi because of the high regard in which their chapter is held at Ann Arbor. They said that the chapter of Omega Psi there would detach itself from the National Society of Omega Psi and become a local one. So the mystery deepens. I'm not actually sure this is the same group that we discussed in a previous episode, or if it is, it's a, it's a new iteration of, or I'm sorry, an early iteration of it from what it has become today. It's hard to tell. And I still love when the editors complain. The last issue in 1903 in October carries the opening line in the exchanges, lamps without oil, expresses very mildly the problem before the exchange editor this month. So there, they received a bunch of stuff with nothing of real importance. Um, And then the end of these issues are chock full of ads. Lucy Smart really stepped up her game with selling advertisements, and they mention them elsewhere in the magazine. They're, They're pleading with members to patronize these businesses who think so highly of our magazine and purchase ad space. So, and that is all I have. Now, that's all the news to know for 1903. You've been listening to Key Matters, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Research and production is done by the director of the Stewart House Museum and member of Alpha Deuteron Chapter at Monmouth College, Dr. Mary Osborne, and me, Kylie Smith, from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College, and the archivist and museum director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.